Hello, Renoites listeners, and welcome to this week's episode of Renoites. My name is Connor McWibby. I'm your host, as always. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is the second episode of our new season. Just started a new season last week and very excited about a lot of the upcoming guests. Today on the show, I'm excited to welcome Ben Davis. He is the photographer behind Reno After Dark, which you may have seen a lot of on Instagram. A lot of really cool photos of downtown Reno at night that really highlight the nightlife down there, the people, and also the space itself. A lot of the neon, the bright blues and reds and pinks that we get from the lights downtown. Ben probably spends as much time downtown Reno after dark as about anybody else. So he has a fairly unique view into what it looks like in downtown Reno when the sun goes down. We had a good conversation about street photography, choosing subjects, trying to tell the story of Reno through photography, how Reno is changing so much, and that can be shown through photographs over the years. A lot of really great stuff, not just about photography, but about downtown Reno and how we talk about it and how we look at it and what the real experience is of being downtown. I have been very busy lately with a bunch of Renoite stuff, so I have a lot of exciting things to share. This next Sunday will be my last Sunday at the Riverside Farmer's Market for a while, so if you would like to come down and chat about the show, share guest suggestions, maybe even buy a t-shirt or some stickers, help support the show financially, that would be amazing. I've been at the Riverside Farmer's Market at Idlewild Park most Sundays for the last few months, and I will be there again this coming Sunday from 8 until 1. So stop by, say hey, it would be great to see you there. I also have another Renoites Live episode coming up that is going to be on Thursday, September 21st. That is at Black Rabbit Mead from 8 to 10. I'll be there from about 7 o'clock or so. It's going to be with Kat Hart, who is a local singer and songwriter, musician. It's going to be great to talk about Reno's local music scene. And that one is also going to be a little bit of a show. Kat's going to do a few songs for us. So it'll be part podcast recording, part live show. They have great food and drinks at Black Rabbit. So check that one out on September 21st. Of course, you know, Renoites is a listener-funded, community-supported, community-oriented kind of project. I don't have a lot of ads and sponsors, the annoying stuff that you hate on podcasts. That's because the show is made sustainable by donations from listeners. You can go to patreon.com slash Renoites or just go to Renoites.com. Follow the link there. It's very easy to help contribute to the sustainability of this show. It costs a little bit of money and a lot of time to produce a show like this. And the only way that it can continue on into the future is with your help. Thank you so much to some of our recent patrons. I really appreciate when people sign up to support the show. Even just a couple bucks a month makes a huge difference. It really does add up. Again, that's patreon.com slash renoites. And spread the word about the show. One of the biggest things that you can do to help a show like this is just word of mouth. Word of mouth is essential for projects like this. So tell your friends, tell your family, share those social media posts. If I post on Facebook or Instagram about an episode, hit the share button and let people know that there's a new episode out. Makes a huge difference. And of course, I still host Trivia Nights for DJ Trivia Sierra Nevada four nights a week. You can find me at Lead Dog Brewing on Mondays, Sierra Tap House on Tuesdays, Voodoo Brewing on Wednesdays, or the Brewer's Cabinet Production Facility on Thursdays. We always have a really great time. It's free to play. There's prizes for the top teams. I've been hosting for DJ Trivia for years now, and it is one of the most fun jobs I've ever had, and our players always have a really great time. So check that out as well. You can learn more at DJTriviaSierraNevada.com for the full schedule. And now this week's guest on Renoids, Reno After Dark's Ben Davis. Ben Davis from Reno After Dark. Welcome to Renoids. Thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to have you on the show. You do a project called Reno After Dark, which is a photography project that's all downtown Reno at night. Can you talk about what that project is? It started a couple of years ago during the pandemic, right? So can you just explain kind of what Reno After Dark is as a project? Yeah, it was an extension, I feel like, like everybody else's uh, projects that started right around the pandemic. There wasn't a whole lot else going on, and I'm a commercial photographer. And so 2020 was a little bit slow. I do a lot of stuff for uh, trade shows and those sorts of things, and those all stopped. And so decided that I needed to fill some of that extra time with some creativity. And I remember watching a news report about downtown and that one of the casinos had never locked their doors or it had been so long Mm. that they had to chain the doors. And I remember thinking, oh, we're living through some history here. And I should probably maybe document. And I've always had a little bit of a passion for documenting downtown when 
right after I moved here, I'd, I'd rush to finish kind of my corporate work. And then I'd go out and with my camera and walk around downtown. This was uh, kind of 2010, 2011. And I remember everybody saying it was a pivotal time because of the recession. And I thought, oh, this is awesome. I'm going to be documenting downtown Reno, maybe at its lowest or maybe right before a rebirth. And I sort of had that same like kind of energy after lockdown that I needed to get out and start documenting what does downtown Reno look like when everybody starts coming out from, you know, behind their masks and behind their homes and what does nightlife look like? How are the how's the city sort of rebuilding itself after being closed down for uh, you know, for sure, what, three or four months, but yeah. you know, a lot of people didn't come back or come out and it was pretty empty until December, January, that, that following right after. So I started going out and I figured out, you know, I really like nighttime photography. Downtown Reno is one of those interesting places that has a very unique vibe to it. Once the sun goes down, good, bad, other, there's all kinds of things happening. And I got addicted to a little bit of that action. Uh, I, then I think I fell in love with downtown and it's almost therapeutic for me to go out and shut everything else out. And especially in 2020, worrying about kind of where the next business was going to come from for me, where the next paycheck might come from. So getting out and being on the street, being in the moment with the people that were out there, seeing the businesses that were opening and closing and, and everything that was developing post pandemic, it was, it, it was, and it still is uh, a very interesting sort of magical time. You probably spend more time downtown seeing what downtown looks like at night than almost anybody. I mean, like fire and police and maybe um, some of the unhoused residents who are out regularly, or maybe some casino workers who are out and about, but often they're probably just walking to their cars you're probably spending more time outdoors looking at downtown than almost anybody in this area, right? I, th I think so. Yeah, I would say law enforcement and fire, maybe Remza, spend more nitty-gritty time on the ground than I do. Um, and, and that unhoused. Uh, but besides those populations, I'm out two to three times a week for a few hours at a time, sometimes as many as four or five hours, depending on how much is going on downtown. Uh, waiting for those right images. The other thing too is like, I'm also a little bit of a storyteller, a little bit of, I want to get to know people's story. And so I think it helps me take a better photo. It helps me document or tell a visual story better to know the people that I'm shooting photos of. Mm -hmm. For example, there's a street preacher that is out Friday and Saturday nights who's you know, carries a large speaker around with him. And, you know, I'd always wondered, like, what's this this man's story? What compels him to go downtown? And, you know, he's, he's a little bit in people's faces. What compels someone to leave the comfort of their home, to go, you know, in the weather, uh, to go late at night? And, you know, and he's told me stories where he's been punched in the face downtown. And, and it's like, those are the things where I'm like, okay, well, this is part of downtown. And I'm learning... Uh, this fixture on the weekends who's out doing this, I'm learning his story and where he's from and what compels him to do that. And I really, I live for that just as much as I live for getting that one amazing photo every night or a few amazing photos. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that the vibe of downtown Reno and there's a, I would say like a particular vibe and aesthetic to your photos, the Reno after dark, uh, page on Instagram, for example, has a very consistent look and feel. Can you talk a little bit about what your photos look like and kind of how you achieve that, that look and that vibe in your photography? Yeah. If you scroll all the way back to the beginning, there's, there's 1200 photos now to go through, but if you go back to the beginning, the style has evolved a little bit. And that's, that's one of my things is commercial work it can be like, you can push yourself to do new things and different things. But I've always felt like for me, the street photography was an avenue to explore different styles, explore different perspectives, different post-production techniques. So when I first started, I would say I was very heavily, like my photos were on the blue side, were on the cool side. And um, maybe that's a mood thing for me. Maybe that's how I felt like maybe Reno was that style has evolved a little bit and that sort of morphed into this. There tends to be a lot of reds, magentas and pinks downtown. And I felt like that that mirrored more of what I was seeing, but with a little bit of a twist with a little bit of a style applied to it. Uh, and so I felt like anyone can go downtown and shoot photos, but like 
I tried to infuse a little bit of style to it without losing the story. And I also wanted my work to be such that if uh, the Eldorado shared it or if anybody shared it, the city shares it, instantly someone's going to know, hey, that's Reno After Dark. Mm. So still Reno, but also with a little bit of my own brand to it so that you knew what was my work. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, the neon is a big part of it. And I had an episode last season with Will Durham from the Nevada Neon Project. We talked a lot about how neon is just so connected with the identity of uh, you know Las Vegas and Reno and cities across the entire state. So we really have this close association of neon and Reno and that is one of the things that's highlighted a lot in your photos is when you're doing these, you know, bright reds. A lot of times that's the Reno sign downtown. That's, you know, the the neon on the casinos. Can you talk a little bit about how neon in particular factors into the, the work and the look and feel of your stuff? Yeah, that was actually one of my favorite episodes from last season was uh, listening to kind of telling the story of saving those signs. And I feel like that my work a little bit is trying to save that vibe. Uh, downtown Reno is a very unique place. I don't know if you've had an opportunity to stand in certain spots during the day and at night, and they almost look like two different cities to me. So for example, if you go stand out in front of the El Dorado and let's say it's noon, I think they leave their lights on all the time, day and night, but at noon on a bright sunny day, it is, you know, the building is gold and white and, uh, not very colorful in and of itself, but then you go and stand in that same spot at, you know, 10 o'clock at night, the pinks are in your face, the, the rainbow facades that they have on kind of each corners of the building. It, it's very different. The silver legacy is very much that way. It takes on this green and, you know, flashing lights. And I find that yes, Vegas has that, but Reno has always been, I think, since the, you know, I can remember Reno has been overshadowed by Vegas and, but we're just as like cool at night almost. And no one was really showing that. I know a lot of people that I would talk to from the Midwest, they kind of go, Oh, Reno. And, and I feel like we, we weren't telling our nighttime story very well. We weren't showing that neon. We weren't showing that color. And I also had noticed since when I first started shooting photos in Reno in 2010 compared to 2020, there was a lot of signs that had left when they started taking down some of the Harris stuff. I, I really started to feel like, Oh man, I, I have to get out there because some of this and little did I know a lot of it wouldn't be there three years later. Mm. I mean, you look at, uh, it's cool that Jacobs has renovated the sands and now it's the J and they've been putting money into that. I think that's important for that fourth street. We'll see if they can honor a lot of the other commitments mm. they've made. But we lost a lot of neon. We lost a lot of color. We lost a lot of diversity when they renovated the sands. It went from being this, you know, spectrum of reds and greens, and and now it's blue. Right. And it and it looks cool. And in one regard, because there's nothing else in our skyline that has that coloring. But on the other hand, man, we lost a lot of that old school Nevada look where it was in your face. It was colorful. The, the light spilled over into the street. And, and that's as a photographer, you're always looking at light. So neon throws a, a lot of light that you don't you know, typically see, I think, in most cityscapes. And, you know, the El Dorado still does that. The Circus Circus, to a certain extent, still has a lot of that. I mean, that's one of the things I hope that my photography does is it maybe shows if developers are looking at it, and I know some are, that let's harken back to the glory days. Let's embrace some of the newer urban planning stuff that's going to help rehabilitate downtown. But let's honor that past. Let's make some of those facades light up a little brighter and a little more colorful than maybe some other cities so that we can keep that that unique Reno vibe going. Yeah, absolutely. I notice in a lot of your photos, it's places and a lot of street photography, there's places and there's people. And sometimes it's both of those things. Your photos seem to me to focus a lot more on on the places than on the the people. Can you talk a little bit about how you choose the subjects that you're shooting? Is it the uh, that there's not a lot of people downtown to shoot maybe? What's that like kind of choosing the the subjects of your photos, whether they're including people or not? That's a great question. And that's one that I've I've struggled with a little bit on my own, that a lot of traditional street photography, like you said, features people very prominently. I think because the project started with, let me tell Reno's story. Mm. Uh, before the pandemic, I remember uh, I had some people from out of town from Minneapolis that I was driving around and they said, oh, this city is like, it's so unique. 
there's all these things to look at. There's all these things that we had no idea. We've been coming to Reno for five or six years for trade shows and for, for different events. And we, we never got away from the GSR. We never got away from the Atlantis. And I thought, man, this city is really cool. And no one is telling the story of the city that we have a, a neon arch that has our name emblazoned across it, that we smash so many different cultures together. We've got gaming and we've got uh, you know brothels right outside of town and we've got restaurants and bars and Midtown's uh, renewal. And no, I, I just felt like social media wise, visually, nobody was showing that to the rest of the country. And because Reno isn't Vegas, uh, I thought someone's got to tell that story. Someone's got to show how cool Reno is. But at the same time, I think that there has to be, I don't obviously like I'm a cheerleader for Reno. I really like this place. This place has given me so much opportunity and I felt a draw here from a, you know, I don't want whatever you believe in, whether it's energy, the universe. I, I felt like very early on that this was a place that I was supposed to be that, that I needed to be here. And so I've sort of felt like artistically something's drawn me to show the city off to show off the place that's given me and my family so much opportunity. So I think that if you were to talk about Reno after dark as a street photography, I think the city is the person and I'll throw people in there to highlight, you know, scale to show like perspective of what's going on. And there's some stories, like if you scroll back through, you know, sometimes like you can't tell a story about pride downtown without showing some people in it, or you can't, tell the story of the unhoused and what the county and city have been trying to do without showing people. You know, when we talked about people that are downtown all the time, I don't think you can show downtown without showing Remza doing some things, Reno fire doing some things. When I read, for example, that one of the firehouses, I think it's, is it uh, station one or engine one is one of the busiest in the country. And, you know, you're comparing that to cities like New York and Philadelphia and, and, th- and Chicago. And so, that's a story. That's part of what's happening downtown. Like if you were to drive through downtown and you're like, oh, wow, look at all this stuff that's happening. I'm going to save you that trip. Or when I know that, I think I read somewhere like in the RGJ in 2020 that, you know, it was like 75% of Reno, I had said, not been to downtown in the last like five to six years. It was, it was something, I don't know if that was the exact number, but it was something where I'm like, oh my goodness, yeah, like what? the majority of people that live in Reno never come down here. Mm-hmm. And if they do, like they said, it was for to go to an Aces game. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very teeny tiny part. And that's that's really outside of the hustle and bustle of downtown. Or they go to the Pioneer. You know, there was all these things where I'm like, well, that's not really like giving you a good flavor for what is happening on a nightly basis. And then because I think downtown Reno is a transient space, it's tourists, it's people moving through. One of your guests was highlighting the fact that there just isn't enough residents for it to be a vibrant place. Yeah, that was probably me on every other episode. <laughs> well, I think I, I it may have been the redevelopment uh, manager for the city was saying that, you know, one of the keys oh, yeah. is to bring people downtown and and live there. And so sometimes I feel like that the people that happen to be downtown, unless they're people that I see often and we have, we have conversations and I get to know them, I, I feel like that they're less important to the story. And that's not to say that tourism isn't important. It is important for downtown Reno. It's probably one of the last things that's keeping people down there. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. You, you show a tourist, there's there's a lot of others. Unless they're engaging in something that's wild and crazy, mm-hmm. I try to keep it, let's feature the ones, that, the people that I know that are down there making an impact. Let's save it for the people that I know that are characters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that, you know, that downtown is their playground, so to speak, or their their stage. And... Yeah, so the city is the maybe that I'm exploring this as you ask that question is maybe the city is is the person. Right. How do you find people are responding to the project? I know you've like you have a ton of people on TikTok too. I know that you've had a lot of kind of success. It feels like kind of a viral blow up story a little bit with um, you know, I saw a couple photos and then I started seeing them shared everywhere. Uh, what's the response been both from people in Reno? I'm assuming a lot of folks in Reno follow you because it's our city, but also from outside of Reno or people who are not familiar with Reno uh, getting a lot out of this project or getting a different perspective than they had before? The vast majority, if I go through and I look at like the Instagram insights and the Facebook insights, the vast majority of people that follow are from Reno and Sparks, uh, naturally. But I have noticed over the last few years that that percentage 
of people outside starts getting like I think I saw Sacramento and maybe one of the Bay Area cities, Oakland, kind of pop up as a uh, a two, three, four percent place that had followers or people viewing certain photos. I think for me, originally, two things: if people were going to visit Reno, I thought, hey, if I can try and get the keywords right, if I can try and get discovered, they'll see Reno through my lens first. Uh, they'll be able to see. Oh, this is a place I want to go. These are places, these are things that are happening. The other thing was, is, you know, predominantly my motivation was to show Reno people Reno. Because mm. one of the funny things is I'll talk to people that live out in Spanish Springs or, I'll li- you know, they live out in Washoe Valley or South Reno and they say they haven't been to downtown in a while. And then I'll show them photos or we'll talk about it. And like, oh, I had no idea. I had no idea. Well, it's because you're never downtown. And so I, I almost felt like this is a way for me to show like how really cool. And downtown Reno gets a bad rap a little bit that a lot of Renoites tend to think downtown is dirty. It's scary. It's full of crime. It's full of, uh, you know, homeless or unhoused people that will harass them. There's, there's some stereotypes that I think have been, been pushed or personified. and, And that largely has not been my experience downtown. And maybe that's what I'm doing also is that I'm sharing that experience that it's, it's really like none of those things. I compare to my experiences walking through downtown Minneapolis or downtown Sacramento or downtown San Francisco, I have a lot more fear of those cities. I've had a lot more frightening, scary, nerve wracking run-ins in those cities than I ever have in downtown Reno. Now it's not to say I haven't had some things where, uh, I, you know, th- there's some been some things that, that have been nerve wracking, but that's also probably because I place myself in, in places and situations that I don't think most people would, you know, like who's the idiot that goes down by himself down some of these alleyways. I I try to be very like proactive about safety when I'm down there, but you know, I, to get a shot, like I might, I might do some things that normal people like probably wouldn't do. Um, was there another part to that question? Um, (laughs) Oh, followers and who's seeing it viral or, you know, a social blow up. You know, this is this is a tension that I feel a little bit in that I I never wanted to do the project for like social media following or social media fame. Or I mean, I don't know if that's gonna be possible with Reno. But you know, I, I never did it for the followers. I, I did it, it started off as an art project. It started off as can I push myself to make art downtown or to tell a downtown story? And if people like it, if they then that's cool, but if they don't it doesn't matter because I'm, I'm doing it for myself mm. and I'm putting together like a portfolio of work that I'm proud of and for the city that I am passionate about. But I do sometimes fall into that trap. I think that all of us fall into is that, you know, I'll post something and I'll be like, Oh, I gained like 800 followers. Like that's pretty cool. I think I'd be dishonest if I was to say it doesn't feel good when like, you know, the Eldorado reaches out or a silver legacy reaches out or, you know, one of those organizations purchases one of my photos. That's pretty rad. I mean, I must be having an impact if people want to associate their business with some of those images. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that for me, that's the, you know, we talked earlier when we were prepping for the show about like, do I want to monetize it? And that's a hard thing to answer because I would not want to monetize it at the expense of what I'm doing and the expense or the value of what I'm showing. And I also have like wanted to be really careful. Reno's a small city and I try to show things in a good light, but also not be dishonest about what's happening downtown. And I try to, if I see something that I think is going to hurt the city that I love, I, I think I try and call it out. But at the same time, I also try to be positive in that, you know, like for example, Jacobs, and I think this has been mirrored in some of the things that have been written by people more knowledgeable to the, the nuts and bolts is that on paper, it looks good. So let's, let's give them maybe the benefit of the doubt at first, I mean, there's a lot of like, you know, there's been a lot of like controversial things happening with the city council. And I try not to get too far down into the political uh, rabbit hole, but also still highlighting that if we don't get involved, if we don't try and influence things as people, then like, you know, can't get too mad when, Mm -hmm. when something that is not favorable happens downtown. So I try not to be too negative. And I guess, you know, and I've been accused of being too much of a cheerleader, but I mean, I, I feel you because I'm, I'm the same way where I know that there's uh, everything is complex. There are things that are good and bad. It is uh, a real detailed and nuanced conversation about how cities work. But as someone who first and foremost is just a big fan of Reno and wants Reno to do well and be well, I tend to lean more towards the positive things that I see 
Um, and I think that there are people who are doing a, a better job or more of the work of the criticism yeah. and we need those people and that's great, but we don't all have to be that. I think there's not necessarily anything wrong with being a cheerleader for the city that you love. Well, and I think that especially because if you look at downtown, there's a lot of really good people that I've gotten to know that are doing their best to conduct business, to uh, promote things, to, to be sort of these beacons of hope in downtown. It, in a, in a space that's had a lot of setbacks or things just don't you know, have, a, it's not smoothly working out like we had hoped, you know, for example, like Reno city center, I, I've had an opportunity to talk to a lot of the landlords around that. And, you know, and a lot of them were, were holding onto it, hoping that those people would move in and be residents and then they can then develop their property. But then I talked to, uh, I think the real heroes of downtown, you go on first street and you talk to the owners of Antonio's and you talk to the owners of the stick and they've got a nice little corner there that does get traffic, but it's a tough place to, to do business. Some of the stories that like the owners of Antonio's have told me, and they're some of the most giving people trying to give back to the unhoused population while still conduct a business down there. And I try to show those stories too. And those are, those are the people downtown that have been here for a while and I hope we'll be here for a long while when people start moving downtown, when some of these projects start coming to fruition. Um, so I guess that's my thing is cheerlead downtown, cheerlead the people that have been down there or that have come within the last three or four years and and are are doing it despite the setbacks of some of the larger projects that were promised. Mm-hmm. You said you go out several nights a week. Can you talk a little bit about the difference of experience on the nights when there's events? I went downtown a couple of weeks ago. It was the the Wing Fest yep. down on uh, on Virginia Street. So that was one of those events where the road is closed. It was also there was an event at uh, the Glow Plaza that was like the Reno Night Market thing. So that was a totally different experience for me than what I see on nights when there's not events and things going on. So what hours are you generally out there, and what are the differences you see on? like the weekends versus the weekdays or the event days versus the non-event days? Is it a totally different city or what's that like? Great question. And yes, uh, downtown is, I always tell people like downtown is an animal. It's, it's like living and breathing and, or it's, it's like a living almost organism that there's depending on what's happening, how many people are downtown, what the weather is like shapes a lot of the experiences that you're going to have. So, for example, you mentioned the events, right? The Wing Fest. Um, I have a love-hate relationship from a f- photography perspective on that stuff. Because during the day, uh, so I also do Reno Before Dark on Instagram. If you go down there during the day, there's there's tons of people. It's a, you know, it's a fun thing to photograph because people are eating wings. People are enjoying themselves. You get, uh, you get Reno doing Reno things during the summer. But at night, after those events close down, like the Italian festival, the wing festival, it it's a dead space. So like the sidewalks are passable, but the streets aren't. And so a lot of the cruising traffic, a lot of the, uh, you know, a lot of people are, are anti-cruise, but the, the people that are down there cruising, they had a lot of character. They had a lot of activity and action and, you know, tension between them and, and law enforcement. And so... It's when you shut down that road and then tourists, I think, feel a little bit discouraged from going out. That it, it, Those nights, I actually don't like to go out on those nights. So when I remember there's events going on, I kind of go, oh, man, maybe I'll, maybe I'll go to a different part of town. I'll walk wells. or, uh, But so a weeknight for me is very much like visually telling the city story in terms of like, what buildings have changed? What corners have changed? What's What's been renovated? I would much rather go down and shoot, let's say, the neon line on a weeknight just because I can kind of walk down there, walk back quickly. There's not a lot of people. But that's also a double-edged sword when there's less people. I feel like that's when people that might have uh, less noble intentions are out. That's when I've been harassed more is on mm-hmm. on weeknights, believe it or not. And then whereas like weekends when there's not events, that's where it's like, it's busy. That's when the tourists are out, uh, locals are out, people are coming down for Aces games, for Pioneer stuff. So you've got a lot of foot traffic. You've got a lot of different things that you can bounce in between. For example, like on a weeknight, I might walk like seven or 8,000 steps, but on a weekend, I might walk 17 or 18,000 steps because I'm going from one end of Virginia to the other. I'm going from one end of 4th Street to the other. I'm going from you know, Aces Ballpark all the way over to the edge of Midtown. So it's every night is a little bit different. And then there's some nights where you're just like, has everybody lost their mind? 
<laughs> or there's other nights where it's like, wow, everybody's really calm and quiet. What's happening here? Mm-hmm. Or you'll have musicians in town from the Bay Area. That gets a little wild. Or you've got a lot of foot traffic between the Reno Event Center and the Row. Or coming up, the Haunted House. It's like, for some reason, the haunted house always kind of attracts like its own, has its own vibe going on down by in uh, the bowling stadium. Excellent. How has it changed over the time that you've been shooting? So you said you've been, you know, shooting photography in Reno since you said, what, 2010? Yeah. A long time, but just the Reno After Dark project in the last couple of years, like you said, that started in the pandemic and you've kind of documented a lot of changes over the last few years too. Can you talk a little bit about the changes that you've seen in the, in the time that you've been shooting photos down there? Yeah. The funny thing is, is what was supposed to be the roughest time for Reno was actually kind of this, like, I don't want to call it magical, but there was something different in the air that 2010, 11 and 12, I think we'd had it beaten into our heads that Reno was, was so down and out foreclosures were so high downtown as a dead corridor. And really, I think there was optimism almost that there was still like a lot going. Harris was open. Little Nugget was open. I don't know if you remember Comrow before it became Whitney Peak. They'd open their doors during the summer and they had kind of like almost like a, a food court or food truck thing. It was, there was actually this like really crazy energy and so for me, I was like, this isn't anything that the national news is saying. And so like, I felt compelled to, again, I guess, tell that story. Like, what's, why is this place not as depressed as everybody is claiming it is? And I, I, then I started working from home and I wasn't downtown as much, 14, 15, 16, 17. And then I started to notice that things started to close and then the pandemic hit. And then it was like, there was all this talk about what is not going to open back up. Mm. Will Harris open back up? And then it didn't open back up. One of the other things I remember is I missed the Harris letters being taken down from the side of the, the building. And I'm like, oh, I missed that history. So that's where I was like, I got to get better tapped into what's going on downtown. Because these are all things I would have loved to have had a photo of telling. Because one of the, the more popular things that I do on Reno After Dark is I'll post photos from that 11, 12, 13 time period. And people like go nuts over it. They're like, it's so different. For example, I didn't know it at the time, but the Virginian facade was all completely still up in 2011 and 12. Mm. It was awesome. I mean, it was like gold and neon and, you know, had casino and these big letters up the side. And you can see the the dirty kind of shadows of them. Mm. At the time, I didn't know like what I was shooting. And now like I'll post that and people that have only moved here in the last five or six years, they're like, that's, that looks cool. What is that? Mm. Or, you know, I'll post the two different, even between 2009 to now, I'll post the three different versions of what the Renaissance was. And people are like, what? It was what? And even I'll be like, oh, that hasn't changed that much. And I'll go back through my photos and I'm like, oh man, that's changed a lot. And if you think five years from now, a lot of people won't even know what the J used to look like. Mm -hmm. That's where the pressure of the project comes in for me is so much has been lost in the last like four or five years. Like I only have a few photos from earlier of like city center, those old motels. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the old, I have photos of all, most of them. And it's like, I wish I would have taken more photos. It was funny early on. Somebody asked me, why are you taking so many photos of uh, the horseshoe motel? Because it's a sign that's probably, it may not be, I, who knows how long that's going to be here. And, and now I'm, I'm always like, well, I don't know. It could be here for another 10 years or it could be here another year. I just, but I never expected like the Rancho Sierra and some of those others to disappear as quickly as they did. Mm-hmm. It was like they were bought and they were torn down. And I think that sign got saved, but those will be things that we'll never see again. And I expect that once the development ball gets rolling, that will probably happen again. So because we are a city where a lot of people I think move in, I, I also feel like it's really important to be kind of a, a documentarian from that perspective to capture things that might not be there in five years or might not look like that, or people may not even remember from two years ago. Yeah. What's been your interaction with the other members of kind of the artistic community, other like the photography community here in town? And then also, like you said, you're kind of a documentarian and the the journalistic community. Have you had interactions with kind of both sides of that? And again, there's this kind of difference between the art side and the journalism side, but they overlap a lot. Can you just talk a little bit about kind of how those things tie together for you? I think that actually listening to one of your prior shows with, um, uh, used to be editor at RGJ. Oh, uh, just recently, Brian Dugan. Yeah, Brian Dugan, I think, highlighted that there's, like with a lot of things, that, you know, you say you're not a journalist. 
but you are doing some reporting and you are capturing stories as they're happening in a time period. And it's funny if you go back and listen, I don't know if you, how much you go back and listen to your old shows, but I think in some ways you do a lot of what I do and that when you go back and listen to some of those early shows, things were happening were a little bit different. Mm. The stories that were being told. It's not that Reno is vastly different from three years ago, but the world is vastly different. The things that we're concerned about, you know, if I told you as we're coming out of lockdown, we got inflation's going to be crazy. You'd have been like, what's that story going to be like to tell? I don't know. We're capturing stories in the context of when we're capturing, whether that's audio or. So I think that the lines between traditional journalism and, you know, and I don't think I'm held to the same. I mean, obviously, I'm not held to the same standards as a journalist. There's a style to what I do. But are we reporting on things? I, I mean, I, I think so. Uh, I mean, how many people sit in front of like Channel 8 or, you know, 4 or 2 at 10 o'clock to watch the local news? Not not a lot of younger people. Mm-hmm. And so where are they going to get their news? Where are they going to get the stories that are being told in this community? And I think it's going to be social media. I think it's going to be podcasts. You know, it's word of mouth. A lot of the things that I post, the ones that get the most engagement are usually the things that are sort of current event driven. Like, for example... I think it was it last year when the city council was debating the the small alcohol container ban? Oh yeah, yeah. I posted that in a story because someone had left a small bottle. Right, it was kind of cool because the background was city hall and shot the photo. And I posted that as a little tidbit is that the city council is debating this, and I must have gotten 30, 40 messages from. People. I had no idea what how how far out is the ring? Who's it going to affect? Am I still going to be able to get booze here? And it really struck a chord and, it, and I was really surprised at how many people didn't hear about that any other way. And so that's why I'm like, Oh man, maybe I'm doing this. That's no pressure. Right? right. But I also, I think that that for me, that gives me a voice and the issues that I think are important. Mm-hmm. I don't, I try not to take a firm side one way or the other, like things are so polarized, but I do try and say, Hey, like this alcohol ban is being debated. You know I mean? One of the hard things about that was like, is that the most positive thing going on downtown? The ability to like, you know, crush some shooters on the street corner and then throw the bottle in the gutter? Maybe not. But on the flip side, a lot of those people that are selling those bottles are immigrant-owned businesses. And by and large, they're being purchased by tourists, you know, and so it's a it's a tourist-driven income stream. Then the other thing is I, I kind of did a social experiment where I put protein bars in my bag and we're going off on a tangent here, but I put protein bars in my camera bag with a couple of bottles of water. And I also put a few of those bottles. And so when an unhoused person asked, you know, if I could help them, I said, yeah, absolutely. What, you know, would you prefer a protein bar and a water or a burrito and a water? That's the other thing too, is I love Antonio's because they'll make me burritos and they'll make them a little smaller so I can pack more in my bag and I'll take those out. But the funny thing is, is when I offered the water and the, and the protein bar versus like the alcohol shooter, like 99% of the time they want the food in the water, which again, for me turns that whole narrative about the unhoused, the, uh, the homeless population are the problem downtown. I mean, they're, they're largely not now. Are there a few that walk around and harass people? Sure. But are there tourists that do that to locals? Absolutely. You know, it's, I've never had a homeless person demand my camera. I've never had a homeless person demand, you know, that they're going to beat me up if I don't get out of, out of their space. Like, they're, I mean, they're by and large, they're asking for things that they need, not, not booze, not drugs. Um, you know, that's not to say that, uh, uh, maybe a significant percentage of that population is a drug addicted, but that ordinance, I just was like, man, that's like, to me, that just seems so short-sighted. Anyways, I do try to, to share, this is my anecdotal experience that those bottles don't seem to be the problem based on what I've seen. And because, again, if people don't go downtown, then how does the average Reno voter, how does the average Reno constituent go and testify in front of City Hall if they're never downtown? It's not an issue for them. Or like the shop owners down there, the convenience stores. I've had conversations with those owners. They're they're nice people. They're just doing the best they can. And I think that they've been maybe a little bit unfairly. Um, yeah. You know, and the other thing is if people are like, well, there's a, there's a liquor store in every corner. Well, <laughs> that's a city council or that's a planning or a zoning thing. So anyways, I just try to provide context to the things that are being debated. And so I guess the, the question you asked was, how do I feel? Am I, am I doing a journalistic? What's been the reception? I, I do feel like I'm a, a storyteller. Hmm. I don't know that I'm a journalist. I've gotten some pushback from local journalists a little bit that I don't you know, that I'm not held to the same rigors in telling a story that they are. Mm. 
which is, is sort of interesting because is is anybody nowadays right i mean that was part of the conversation i had with brian too is i think that the the gatekeeping is not no longer a thing right, right. The barriers are down so the it's not just you're a journalist or you're not there's an entire spectrum of storytelling that overlaps with professional journalism in different ways and it's also blurry that i don't think there's easy answers on that anymore well and think about i know my daughters i've got younger daughters they uh, when something happens in the world, they don't go to CNN or Fox News or the local news to see what's going on. They go to social media. Mm. Uh, you should see them. They, they they go into TikTok. And the cool thing about that is, is they also have learned that they go into the comments to read what's happening. They try and find different perspectives. Mm. You know, it's like uh, there was a video that went viral a couple of weeks ago of uh, a Georgia State patrol officer that pit maneuvered a guy that just hit somebody with his truck. And, you know, my daughters had found four different angles of that video in, you know, in 20 minutes on TikTok. And it's like, that was, that was an event that happened, I think, like outside of Atlanta. And here my daughters have like a bird's eye view of the, you know, of the, the crime and the, the stop that happened. And, and so I, I would love to be one of those perspectives. If somebody's trying to find four different points of view of something that's happening, mm. I mean, I would love to be one of those things. Yeah. That's where I guess I try and tell, I try to be fair. And this is you and I talked about this when we were prepping is I try to be fair to all sides of the conversation or the argument that, and this is one of the things I struggle with and going back to followers is that if I'm controversial, I gain followers. Mm. Some things are controversial, but some things can be made to be controversial. Right. For example, I posted two things recently regarding uh, photos I shot of unhoused people. And one of them kind of got controversial and I get and it blew up. It was probably one of my most viewed photos. It was one of my most commented on photos, my most shared photos. I didn't set out to be controversial exactly. And I kind of did a test on the next one on a different topic and it was controversial and the same thing happened. And then I tried to be uh, a little bit more fair on a follow-up post about the unhoused where I quoted Hope Springs when they talked about it cost like $36,000 to intervene with an unhoused person. Whereas if we tried to do things before it became a problem, mm -hmm. it only cost taxpayers or, you know, private uh, charities, you know, 12 or 13,000. It was much less, right? Yeah. That post didn't take off. Mm, incentives are, are kind of messed up. Right. And so that's where it's hard because it's like, sure, I love a large social media following because I do think that followers beget views that, you know, it helps kind of get it out there. And, and if my purpose is to tell stories or get in front of as many Renoites as possible, I need that following. But at the same time, like, I don't want to be controversial just for the sake of being controversial. So that's a tension that I feel. So it's like, it would be really easy for me to vilify Reno PD for views with law enforcement. And that's a very polarizing subject. And I've tried to be fair to both sides. And I have shown where I think Reno PD has messed some things up on the street. And some, not very, very many of them have been unfair to me. But I've also tried to share where they've been good. And I've, I've witnessed Reno PD officers do good things. I mean, I watched one. He was talking to a, a homeless veteran or an unhoused veteran. And I heard parts of the conversation. And they happen to both be veterans. And he goes into one of those convenience stores and he bought a bag full of food and water. I mean, that doesn't fit the narrative that like, you know, it's a, is is the culture of policing a little bit toxic maybe? Are there still individual good, you know, Reno PD officers downtown trying to to do the right thing? I think so. Are there some that shouldn't be down there? I think so also. I've seen those. So, it's so it's like I try to tell both sides of that story. Yeah. Um, you mentioned cruising earlier, and I know that's a big part of kind of the culture is like cruising these cars down Virginia Street. I don't know what the law actually is around cruising. Can you just talk a little bit about uh, from a photographer's perspective, this culture of cruising? Like, what is it? Is it fun to shoot? How does it kind of uh, shape how you see downtown when that's happening? Uh, can you just talk a little bit about cruising down Virginia Street? It's interesting. It is. I, I didn't realize that was so polarizing. Until I actually, I created a post about it and asked people, because normally I'll just, I'll just post and say the cruising was crazy on Saturday night. I actually asked, and it's interesting because you get extremes and answers, people that are completely supportive of it. Oh, that's where the fun is. That's what makes downtown great. And then you get people that are like, no way that's a, uh, it's dangerous. They go too fast. You know, they play their music too loud. I won't go downtown because of them. I was surprised at how polarizing the, the subject is. And I guess if I remember to our youth, 
I grew up for part of my teenage years in a part of Sacramento where the cruise was like a big thing, like to the point where like California Highway Patrol shut down uh, Sunrise Boulevard down in Citrus Heights in, in Sacramento and because it, it really got out of hand. So the cruise, I believe there's a uh, an ordinance at the city level that forbids it on Virginia. But I don't want to change anything, but I do feel like that Reno PD is pretty tolerant mm. until it becomes an issue. I think it's fun from a photography perspective. It's it's great because you have a lot of different ethnic groups. You got a lot of different kind of socioeconomic groups. You've got groups of supercars that will roll through, and you've got groups of lowriders that will roll through. You've got groups of kind of the the import tuner Honda scene that'll come down. You've got the muscle guys that'll come down, and so you've got this uh, collision of a lot of different skin colors and languages and cultures, and the awesome thing about for the most part now it's not to say there isn't bad apples but in car culture as a photographer you know like for example if, if someone just stand if a group of guys are just standing around in a parking lot there's no way i'm gonna go insert myself in that conversation mm-hmm. but if there's a group of guys standing around lowriders even though like that culture might intimidate me a little bit i have never been more welcomed by people like there's guys that don't speak a lick of english and they, oh, yeah, you know, they'll motion me over and, you know, and, and they'll be in one of these parking lots. They'll even offer me a beer. And so it's like, that's a rad experience to be welcomed into because, you know, I didn't grow up around the lowrider culture. I don't know a whole lot. I've learned a whole lot. But to get an inside perspective and shoot photos of them enjoying themselves or uh, any of those groups to be able to, like, get invited into a group that isn't naturally my, my, uh, subset that I normally run in Mm -hmm. is, is amazing. The other thing that's cool is all of those cars seem to pull people out of the casinos. It may not be the street level activation the city wants, but you do have people coming out, taking pictures, talking, watching them go back and forth. So those are some of those nights where there's a lot of things, those types of things going on. It's a vibrant like sidewalk experience Mm -hmm. where you're watching cool cars. You're watching the tour, shoot photos, take videos, the good one, the good nights are when everybody's having fun. Mm. There are some times where it gets like there's just so many people. That's where Reno police will shut down Virginia and kind of reset things. Uh, there are some times when out of town car groups come to town and they aren't quite as respectful of the space. That's been one of like the more scarier things that I've like been involved in downtown. I don't know if you want to go into that. Uh, yeah, you got, you got a story on that one? <laughs> I, I do. Yeah. So it was two summers ago. Where I was downtown, it was a warm summer night. I'll have to. I think it was like July. There was a large uh, portion of the car community that was from Reno, and then there was another couple of larger groups that were from the Bay Area and Sacramento, from what I could gather. And so, and this is like one of the hard things about being a street photographer is you know I'm coming in and trying to piece together. It's almost like sometimes you're after the fact you're trying to be a detective, mm-hmm. where you're like if I want to tell this story, I can just put the photos up and they're compelling. But if, if I get asked about it or if I want to post a description, I've got to start pinging some people I know and figuring out. So there was some out-of-town groups, and things started to get like kind of rowdy. It was the corner of like 4th and Virginia. So it was down from the arch. It was a large, like one of the larger car-related groups I'd seen. And I think they'd started to kind of play themselves up. The different groups had started to like kind of go back and forth. Not in a, Not in a like I'm going to like – you know, beat you up or like, I'm going to shoot up the place kind of way, but like egging each other on to do different things like with their cars. And, and so there was a couple of like, you know, they were bouncing the cars and doing some things and it would, it started to get the crowd kind of riled up. And then I don't know if it had been pre-planned or not, but then it, everybody just started all at once moseying down to the arch. And so I was like, Oh, something, something's happening here. This was, you know, it's either, it's either something that's happening in the moment or it was pre-planned, but it it really like happened all at once. And uh, they got down to the arch, and there must have been at one point three hundred people under the arch. Traffic came to a standstill. Two of these cars were under these low riders were under the arch, and they started bouncing them. And one of them got like really high. Like I think all four wheels at one point, or all four tires were off the ground. And one of them had gotten really close to hitting the side of the arch. Mm-hmm. And that got the crowd into it. And um, the first Reno police car showed up. I don't know that they exactly knew how energized the crowd was. 
So she drove up into the crowd and I think immediately she realized like either is out of hand or it could get out of hand really quickly. And it was one of the first times where like, you know, my, my, my wife is always like cautioned, like don't get in the, into the middle of something. And I'm like, no, I'm an observer. I'm on the outside. And this is one of those times where I'm like, uh, uh, I'm not, I'm actually on the inside of this. Like I'm too, I'm, I'm, I'm right in the middle. And that was where I was like, Ooh, I'm tell, I, I could tell good stories, but like, if this gets really out of hand, like, I don't know that I can like easily get myself out of it. And I could tell she sort of like had the, the officer in the car cause she didn't get out right away. And so that's where I'm like, mm. and so then another one showed up and people started to surround that first one. And started kind of shouting things at her, and then there was a couple in the crowd that were that were really kind of mouthy about it. And though they eventually got out, and the the bike cop showed up. This is one of those things where they were really heavy handed right away. And I don't know if that was the right approach or not. I'm not an expert in controlling crowds, but it certainly didn't calm down the louder ones in the group. Mm-hmm. At one point, like one of the officers involved, even got a little bit aggressive with me. You know, and, and I even looked at one of them behind. She, they knew me, and I'm like, you know me. I'm not. A, I'm not part of the problem here. And you know, and and at one point there was a threat that like you're gonna get on the sidewalk, or I'm gonna put you into it. And that was that was one of those moments where I'm like, that that might have been uncalled for, but at the same time, like this is also a situation I guess that could deteriorate really quickly. And that and they started really going after the open containers. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the weird things about downtown is it's unless there's an event going on, it's not an open container zone. And a lot of local or a lot of like tourists don't really understand. They think it's like right. Vegas, right? That you can, yeah. and and so normally like Reno PD is pretty cool about it. Drink it or throw or pour it out. Like I I've yet to ever see anybody get a citation for it or anything. But in this case, like they were threatening that they were gonna they were gonna start arresting or citing people for the open containers, and that got the crowd really worked up. And it was one of those moments where I'm like, this this literally could go either way. And it really energized the crowd to the point where like, I, I do think in that moment, if things had gone one way, it could have been a, like a small, like kind of civil, I don't want to say a riot, but it could have gotten really bad. Yeah, right. Adjacent. Right. And it, and it took them, I would say it took a good hour and a half to like clear that, that crowd out. And I saw the faces of some of the, some of the police down there. I, I think they knew it got close. Like it, it caught, caught them by surprise. I would say that from a like general well-being perspective, that was probably one of the more scarier things I've been in the middle of. Um, so yeah, that was that was fun. <laughs> yeah, the the street activation thing is interesting because we talk a lot about like making the streets more active. You're down there at night where I think there's a lot less of the you know people doing things on the street. Everyone's in the casinos, in the bar, whatever. Um, what was my question on that? I don't even know what my question was. Uh, well, there's definitely there's definitely a flow to like let's say pedestrian traffic as a as a night goes on. The hard part is during the summer it doesn't get dark until nine o'clock, right? So I I kind of show up nine nine thirty, but like I I see it a lot more during the winter when it gets dark at like five or five thirty. You have kind of the dinner crowd uh, that is leaving the casinos, the 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 ones that you know want to like kind of walk a few blocks. Mm-hmm. So it's like six to eight, you kind of have that dinner crowd. They're going to Wild uh, River Grill. They're going to, you know, Antonio's. They're going to, you know, some of the places that are down on the other side of downtown. Or, you know, they're going to go have, let's, you know, they're going to go to the stick and have have drinks. And it, kind of the, the not hardcore bar crowd, right? Mm-hmm. You got the dinner crowd. And then it's almost like eight to 10, eight to 1130, depending on the night, you kind of have that, uh, let's go find somewhere to drink crowd. And then it's like the 1130 to like one thirty or two. That's kind of your, uh, your concerts are letting out. That's let's go find like, you know, some, some wild stuff to get into. Mm-hmm. Those are the people that have probably already had too much to drink, like nice. in the casino and they're coming out. And then I always tell people that like, you know, your mom tells you nothing good happens after 1am or mm-hmm. well, the feeling, the mood downtown changes significantly after like 2 a.m. It's like a whole different crowd comes out. That for me, that's when I've had some of the more like sketchier experiences is that after 1 a.m., 2 a.m. crowd. It's generally like, you know, when people are like, well, downtown Reno is so unsafe. And it's like before 2 a.m., as long as you're being aware of your surroundings and you're not doing stupid things. I think you'll be fine. I mean, I, I tell people all the time, walk with a partner, you know, have a, have a girlfriend with you, have your significant other with you and you'll be fine and greet people like, you know, kind of do that, you know, best, you know, your best defense is a good offense. Greet people, watch their hands. Um, 
but yeah, so there's, I do feel like there's kind of different crowds that are out, uh, and there's different, different moods that are at street level. Yeah. You know, and like the funny thing too is, is I don't know why the city hasn't leveraged it more, but if you go like Friday, Saturday nights downtown, there are so many tourists between like, uh, when it gets dark, eight o'clock to 1030 with kids shooting the arch. It's like, we could leverage even now without like city center opening up without more people moving downtown. I feel like there's these opportunities we're missing where there's a lot of tourists around the arch. Like, you know, and I don't know if there's, you know, something the downtown Reno partnership can brainstorm something where make something out of that because there's plenty of people down there that just honestly want to experience some Reno stuff. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of, I, it came to me, but my question was going to be, is like, what would you like to see as far as street level activation? Cause you're out there a lot at all these various hours. Is there anything we can do in the, you know, in the, post 2 a.m. hours to make downtown. I don't even know what street activation looks like in the middle, middle of the night in a place like Reno. I know in Vegas, it's a little different because it is more of a, you know, there's more people for it to be a true 24 hour town. I mean, what would you like to see downtown Reno look like at three o'clock in the morning? I don't know if I would worry from our perspective. Like if we were sitting down with the city right now in downtown partnership and maybe the row, I don't know if I'd be as worried about like the the 2 a.m. to you know 6 a.m. time frame. I think I would really want to focus in on like you know because Reno is such a unique place. You got the neon that's still left here. You've got you know you, you do still have like foot traffic all the way until that 1 a.m. 2 a.m. time period. What can we do during those hours? What can we do to not be Vegas but be Reno? You know, and at this point, like because we don't have those major projects. What are like maybe temporary things that can be done? What are, and this is where I'd love to like brainstorm with somebody that knows, you know, the, the realities of it. I, I remember going to, uh, when the link promenade like opened up, I remember thinking, you know, in Vegas that it's sort of this like kind of fake downtown street, right. But they have, they have food and bars and everything. And when it first opened up, I didn't really think about it in terms of Reno, but I remember visiting Vegas you know, because rooms were so cheap in 2021, we spent a week there. And I remember being in that promenade and sitting one night, like at, you know, 1am or 2am and with my camera in my hand and thinking, this is pretty vibrant. This is, there's still people like, there's still, you know, places open, there's still things happening, you know? And so my idea was like, is there a way we can like combine something like that with like, maybe like the idea of a food truck Friday, Mm. you know, could we like close down Virginia you know, between, you know, let's say the arch or maybe even like the Cal Neva there at, at, at second street, uh, you know, down to fourth street, is there a way we could bring in like food trucks? Maybe we, you know, incentivize the row by allowing them to, you know, be in charge of booth sales, but, you know, close that down, have it be an open container zone, have people being able to walk between fourth and second mm-hmm. kind of back and forth. I, I don't know if that's doable, but I, I like the idea of it. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, because food trucks aren't a permanent fixture, you know, it's not like we're having to do some major development to do that. Mm -hmm. I know there's probably going to be expense with having extra, you know, police or security down there. But I think, man, I mean, locals showed up in droves to every like food truck event that seems to happen. Yeah. Wouldn't it be cool if there was something that, you know, looped in the tourists just as much as it looped in, um, you know, but I... I guess we'd have to figure out if if Caesars wants people leaving the casino to to eat and drink and yeah. Well, I mean, I think it it does make sense if there is some financial upside for them to make it make. I mean, they do the Wing Fest. That is like they get the that's run by them or sponsored by them, I believe. Yeah. Uh, so it's like it's financially viable for them to do things that are outside of their doors, but still benefit their couple of blocks of Virginia. So. That's a, I think that's a great idea. Hopefully someone <laughs> at Caesars or someone at the city, you know, um, thinks about that a little bit well, because I do think this, this like mingling of locals and tourists also is something that we could probably do more of. Again, a lot of locals, you said, don't go downtown at all. If they do, I don't know how much they're going in the casinos. The tourists are only going to a few blocks around, I think, downtown, maybe, you know, maybe down to Midtown a little bit. But it's a pretty small zone. So I feel like we're kind of separate communities, the local community and the tourist community, but events like that that are in the core of downtown that are welcoming to locals that locals really appreciate. Those are kind of the fun times where you get to see a lot of unfamiliar faces. You see people that are from out of town and having that be outdoors where it is, you know, more of a communal environment than having to go into a, you know, a a big casino with big walls. That sounds really appealing. So, and I think that, 
time period too in the evening. Right? Yep. Uh, it's something we don't have as a consistent thing. And I, I, I have noticed like some things that like sort of led me to think of that idea as, as being viable was when Reno police do shut down Virginia because of cruising. It's actually interesting to see who comes out to walk and ride that length. Cause usually what they'll do is if it gets too congested, they'll shut it down between second and fourth. What's funny is like tourists will come out because then they can shoot amazing photos of themselves mm-hmm. actually under the arch. But then a lot of locals will actually come down on scooters, bikes, and you know they'll walk their dogs. And it's interesting because it's, it's not a ton of people, but I do notice that it's like half and half. And that was one of the things with that m- micromobility study last year. It killed the mood in one respect downtown. Last summer was really like kind of depressing uh, because it killed the crews. A lot of pedestrians, I think, avoided because the the scooters had this like almost green light to go as fast as they wanted. Like it, it seemed like the mood downtown was off last summer. But one of the things I did notice though, is it started to, I think prompt people to congregate in some of these areas where the, like the scooter crossings were. And so that was one of those positive things where I'm like, you know, if we could create a zone, people will hang out down here. Yeah. And you know, cause like I would notice that there'd be like 10 people like on bikes and scooters they would congregate under the arch and they would like, someone would bring food and they just like hang out. And I was like, you know, if, if we can make downtown temporarily Friday, Saturday nights, or maybe just Saturday night, kind of this like pedestrian zone, maybe there's an opportunity here to bring people outside and into this area and kind of bring life back to it. You know, and then when they close it down, we've got all these locals kind of riding back and forth. I mean, that's, that's something that you don't generally see from a pleasure perspective, I think there's a desire for downtown to be more vibrant. I think locals want that. Yeah. Uh, I just don't think that anybody's shown people that don't normally come downtown a compelling reason to, like, in their minds, risk it mm-hmm. or to experience, you know, go, try and go down and create an experience out of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's probably a big part of the the purpose of photography and journalism and sharing those stories is that uh, if people can't see it, they can't really envision it. But if yep. you can show people a picture of, oh, this is what it looks like when people are downtown in this environment, this kind of crowd, this kind of energy, all of a sudden it becomes real and it becomes possible. I will say like some of my most popular photos are hot August nights photos. Mm. And that's a large amount of tourists and locals on each side of the, the street watching a cruise happen. And they're hanging out and they're drinking and they're like, you know, having a good time coming in and out of those shops. And, so it's like, I think if we give them a compelling reason to come downtown, I mean, like Hot August Nights brings people downtown and they hang out and they they drink, they bring friends. And so it's like, if we can try and figure that out without it you know, requiring a lot of development, if we can leverage what's already down there, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm probably preaching to the choir at, you know, downtown partnership. I'm sure that there's been a lot of, a lot of brainstorming and debate, but it's like, I see hints and slivers when I'm down there of like, oh. This is how it could be. Yeah. Oh, if we could just like, how do we make this bigger? How do we, you know, this, this gathering of friends on the corner, how do we like, you know, compel people to want to do that in other, you know, corners downtown. And so it's like, I do see hints of, I think we want it. We just, we just need to figure out a way to a catalyst for it. Yeah. Uh, what did we miss? What else do you want people to know about your photography work or your experiences or thoughts about what's going on in downtown, particularly in the nighttime? Oh, it's a good question. Downtown's not as dangerous as people make it out to mm-hmm. be. <laughs> it can be fun downtown. Um, I think Reno, Reno is an amazing city. I think that one of the, one of the fascinating things about Reno is that their locals or people who were born here like to gatekeep. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're also the same people that I don't think understand sometimes how great this place is. And I know as someone like yourself that grew up here, left for a little bit and came back, you, I think appreciate and what other city in the in the country, besides maybe a few others here in the Mountain West, can you like live next to a river, go 30 minutes one direction to the open desert, go 30 minutes another direction to, you know, an alpine lake or forests. You can go downtown to go gambling. You can go downtown to shows. You can go to a baseball game. I have not found there's a lot of cities that offer the the sort of range that we have. Mm-hmm. And it's like we're we're the biggest little city. We're big enough, we've got stuff, but we're also small enough that even though traffic's worse than it was 10 years ago, it's still not bad. Yeah. Could we do some things to improve it? Sure. And the, one of the things I've always loved about this town is, is that I think that we're a town of experiences rather than things. Hmm. And that's one of the things I've always loved about this place is that, you know, like if I was to be like anywhere in Reno, let's say I've got a Rolex on my wrist. 
I don't think most people in Reno care about that. But if I tell a cool hunting story, but if I tell a cool story about how we went camping or we went to Burning Man or we went to Virginia City, I think I, I think people get excited about that stuff. And what, what experiences have you had? What are you doing in Reno, outside of Reno? I think that's what like gets us all fired up. Yeah. I would much rather, you know, than going to do some exciting, like expensive trip. I want to have a group of friends. I want to sit outside of 1864 Tavern or I want to go, you know, sit outside Midtown or I even want to go downtown and, you know, have a burrito on at Antonio's with a bunch of friends and ex- experience our cool evenings. And I think that this town really has a lot to offer and I, and it is changing and some of the changes aren't positive. You know, housing isn't obviously an issue, but it's still a really magical, special place. Mm-hmm. I hope that my art reflects that. Excellent. Where can people find you? Obviously, it's Reno After Dark on Instagram is where I know you, but you're on all the social medias. Where can people connect or see your work or um, otherwise follow you? Yeah, so uh, Reno After Dark on Instagram. Reno After Dark is also on Facebook. We also are on Reddit occasionally. I mean, I, I post try to post there at least a couple times a week. And then website, renoafterdark.com, which I am currently working on. It's, it's up, but I'm doing – I want to do something a little bit more robust with it where – there's going to be locations like on a map downtown where you can click on it and it's going to give you the option of, I want to see what the sands look like, or I want to see what the J looks like, or I want to see what uh, fourth street motels look like before they got torn down. Cause I have a lot of, of photos of things that are and things that were, and there just isn't like a cool, like you can scroll through, you know, after dark and see a lot of those things, but you know, what happens if you just want to see what did Harris look like during its heyday? Well, I've got photos of that. And so I wanted to put together a way that people, a resource, you know, sort of a little bit like maybe a more photography oriented Reno historical where you can go and see, well, what did that look like 10 years ago? What did that look like five years ago? What did that look like before they changed the facade? So yeah. So social medias and, uh, and the website. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks I, for having I, me. Uh, I followed your work since you started it. I was like a, a big fan right off the bat. And it's nice to be able to talk to you both about the photography work, but also, again, about downtown in particular, because I talk largely on the show about the urban core, about downtown, midtown. I know that Reno and northern Nevada is bigger than just <laughs> just the close-in neighborhoods, but those tend to be my focus. And being able to talk to folks who have that kind of on-the-ground experience in the downtown core the way that you do is always really enlightening, and I learn so much. So thanks for, for coming on the show. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Renoids, and special thanks to my guest, Ben Davis from Reno After Dark. If you enjoyed this episode or any other, again, please help spread the word about the show. Tell your friends and family, share posts on social media, and let me know who you want to hear on the show. We're in the beginning of a new season, and I'm always looking for potential guests for the podcast. So shoot me an email, Connor, C-O-N-O-R, at renoites.com, or a message on Instagram. If you're not following me on Insta, make sure you do that. It's at renoites on Instagram. Next week's guest on the show I'm very excited about is Emily Barney from the Doula Co-op. I did a mini episode with one of the founders of the Doula Co-op at the Riverside Farmer's Market a few weeks ago and got talking to Emily about death and dying. She is a doula, and one of the things that doulas do is help people with major life transitions, including the one at the very end. We had a really good conversation. I'm very excited to share it with you next week, all about how we deal with death and dying in our society, what we could be doing differently. Very interesting stuff. One of my favorite episodes in a while. So check that one out next Tuesday. I also have mini episodes coming up. Keep Truckee Meadows Beautiful is doing their great Truckee River cleanup this coming weekend. And I have Marina McCreary from KTMB back on the show on another mini episode, which will be out sometime perhaps today or early this week. So keep an eye on the podcast feed for that one and tune in next week for my episode with Emily Barney. That's all I've got for you this week. Have a great day. Bye.